0: This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> Kia ora, and welcome to episode 117 of the Half Measures Podcast. I'm. Daniel White and King, and this is Balkan Hour. How are you doing, pal?
1: Good, Dan. How's it going? You've you um, have you been up to much the last few weeks?
0: Ah, oh, just a not too much. Uh, I had a marriage, as an arranged marriage. Um, <laughs> a honeymoon. I had a birthday. Look, I've been a busy boy.
1: You really, you really have. Look, congratulations to you and and Samara on, on getting married. Um, I I don't. I was there, for anyone listening at this point, I was there. It was an amazing location to have a wedding. You had a a genuinely beautiful ceremony and Wellington delivered, as always, a beautiful sky, beautiful weather for some incredible photographs.
0: It was pretty amazing, wasn't it, because... The day, the night before, the the Friday night, we had a bit of a family dinner, and the coldest southerly yeah. kind of blew through Wellington. Like everyone had big jackets on, and it was raining, and it was horrible. And I was like, "Oh God!" Like I'm gonna need a lot of hairspray tomorrow. And you know, on the day, the, the honestly, the weather couldn't have been more perfect. And I felt like at the moment we had our, our ceremony, it was almost like the wind just died down. Yeah, the light was good. It was just, it was a good time. It was meant to be.
1: I remember the photographer saying, "Oh, this is this is perfect for what I need." He looked really stoked about it as well. And say so if your photographer is pleased, that's yep. always the the best of signs.
0: And it's always it's it's high risk, right? Like if you're going to have a, a wedding in Wellington, you kind of have to be prepared for kind of bad weather. And which we were we were kind of like we had a good backup plan. And the thing that we really didn't want, like we didn't mind the rain, we just didn't want the wind. And
1: there was no wind, so it was a good time. Absolutely brilliant. Um, like while we're talking about it as as advertised this this podcast does feature I guess this exclusive first interview with you to to talk a little bit about the wedding king wedding. Um, and right now at the time of recording, it's almost been I guess, yeah, it's almost been four weeks. Mm. Um, and you know as i said i was I was there. I was privileged to have my family attend and be a part of your wedding. but when you think back on the day, and you think about the whole thing. What's your most vivid memory of of that whole day?
0: It's it's so hard to answer because I feel like there's just so many. I feel like it's like a shotgun of like all these different events that happen throughout the, the day. Uh, but I guess one of the ones that, that kind of stands out for me is I think just sitting down like after dinner and just having all these people like, you know, during the speeches, and we originally didn't want speeches, just getting up and saying, like, all these, like, really nice and, like, heartfelt things. And to be honest, it's it's a little bit of a blur what they said, but the I, I just remember just, like, looking at people's faces and just it kind of gave you that sort of warm, fuzzy feeling that, you know, people were generally saying nice things about you. It wasn't like a, a half-measures review of The Walking Dead. It was <laughs> actually about something they enjoyed being at and loved.
1: That's nice. And, I mean, that's one of the great things, I guess, about having – photos uh you know not just for when we're we're old and can't remember but even in the right now things that we can remember but so i guess you've sort of touched on it what's sort of a what's already a blur for you or that you have or that you already have no memory of like is there specific things like where you've gone blank completely
0: it's, like I definitely think is the the most nerve-wracking bit for me was definitely thinking about like, the ceremony in the sense of like having to like stand up in front of people say things about emotions that you you I feel like on a typical day you wouldn't normally say but then to amplify that with the, the pressure of everyone watching and it's kind of only now, you know, we have seen a couple of sample photos from the photographer. You kind of see yourself in that moment, but it's kind of a bit of an out-of-body experience. Like, I kind of remember, like, greeting everyone as they arrived. And then before I know it, I'm having dinner, like, yeah. and it's like this whole a whole bunch of, like, activities happened. And it's kind of like, I'm actually looking forward to seeing the proper photos because I feel like it's going to be like a, like a drunken night out. And you're like, oh, did that happen? Oh. <laughs> When did that happen? Oh, oh God! So I feel like this there's, there's so much of it, but I guess when people say it's a bit of a blur, it it really is. Like it's yeah. it all just kind of starts happening, and as you as you just said, like before you know it, it's four weeks later.
1: Yeah, and it's um time flies. Yeah, that's oh, I mean my my wedding was two thousand eight, and I feel like without some photos, I would. I would forget even the look of the setting or even things like that, which is crazy. Mm. Um, so what about, you know, sometimes there's things happen on the day which you didn't like, was there a highlight of something that happened that maybe you didn't even expect might happen or something that sort of just stood out that you weren't anticipating?
0: Um, I think it kind of links into the, the ceremony, but a little bit. Um it, it was a very last minute call, like maybe two days before the wedding. Samara and I had this conversation around, and I think because we saw a photo on Instagram, and we're like, do we need like like confetti, like confetti or petals or something? And it was just kind of like, so we, we contacted our florist, and she, and she was like, yep, no drama, here's what we can do. And there was kind of just this moment when we're like, we'd done the stressful bit of the vows, and we're walking back down the aisle, and there's all these like petals in the air, and people are throwing them, and it was just kind of like a, a real feel good moment. Everyone's kind of like clapping and celebrating and cheering you on, and it's. I guess I didn't really expect to feel that kind of like positive about the whole thing. I, I like it. I didn't know what emotion I was going to have, but I. Yeah. I, I generally felt like good
1: and warm about it, so. That's perfect. That's as that's as good as it gets, I reckon. Um. Maybe a little bit personal, then, but I'll ask anyway. What was your what was your favourite moment of your wedding day?
0: <clears throat> I there were so many good moments. Um, you know, one of the the ways we got we got to arrive at this winning pool with Vera, was via was via helicopter, and it felt like the most James Bond sub experience. Like we talk a lot about movies and like clutch moments, and just sort of like. Flying into this venue on a perfectly still day, and just um seeing a couple of people who'd already arrived at the venue, kind of see us there and kind of like yep. share that little moment with us was really awesome. and And it wasn't. It, it kind of sounds a little bit like over the top, but it was just such a, a great yep. fun moment, and you know something you don't do every day. So
1: perfect, perfect, perfect. Well, I think at some point with uh, the permission of you and your wife, it would be nice to share a photo or two on our on our social media so that listeners can get a a little bit of a taste of what it was like. But um, no, oh look, I'm not going to grill you for a full hour. Uncovering insights and understanding a person's experience is actually a part of my day job. So I appreciate you indulging me a few questions. Um, I was also working on your wedding day, spending most of my time after the ceremony, handing out half-measures flyers to everyone in attendance, talking about the podcast. So hopefully that gets us a few... A few more listeners um but yeah my my congratulations to you and to our patreon producer samara whiting king who i guess is really committed to the podcast now right
0: she's she's in deep um you know look it was a it was a good day and it was i guess it's been great kind of doing these star wars episodes right because it's kind of the podcast has continued while i've been off living this other life and I was just saying to Paul off here before we started, I, I've actually listened to a few of those those Star Wars episodes um, while I was sort of travelling around, and they were a lot of fun, so hopefully you enjoyed them, and we'd love to hear from you if you did.
1: Indeed, and there'll be more of that to come. All right, Dan, shall we get down to business?
0: Let's. Who even knows how to run a podcast anymore, Paul, but I believe we start with, what have you been watching?
1: All right, so I'll kick us off. I have watched the second season of Star Trek Picard um i will be talking relative spoilers so if you're wanting to watch this show maybe buzz ahead four or five minutes i've really been looking forward to this for a while now i don't know if you remember when we did our top 10 tv series for 2020 season one of picard was in my top 10 season one was it was so good and i came I came into that season with relatively low expectations, you know, with Patrick Stewart in his eighties, headlining as Picard. I think of any TV series I've ever seen, it was the most unlikely sequel ever. And of course, with me being an Gen fan, I had a lot to live up to. But it, it was just so good. And so, with season two, Patrick Stewart, you know, eighty-two now, is still great as Picard. And just like with season one, there are so many, so many callbacks that fans of the well, even the original series, in fact, I won't spoil that, but there were some things, that, but Next Gen, they're going to love it. There's, They bring back two of the main villains um, that the Next Gen crew face, the Borg Queen, um, which you may remember from the movie, the omnipotent being called Q, who's played again by the same actor, John DeLancey. But the, the real strength of the show is Patrick Strip playing this character of Picard as a very different Picard to the one we came to meet in 1987 and you know it's it's great but the, the problem then dan is is they just tried to do too much with this this season and you know i've just said they had q they had the borg they had whoopi goldberg back as as her character gun and they had the actor who played mr data back in a different role they did an alternate timeline where the world went in a nazi direction they had um, they had genetically altered humans as a bit of a lead into the character of Khan from the from the movie Wrath of Khan. They went they went all the time. They went back to Picard as a kid and him reliving his terrible relationship with his father and the loss of his mother. They did time travel back to twenty twenty four in Los Angeles, which was convenient because they could just go outside the studio and and film it. All of these things could have been really interesting, but they just needed to split over two seasons. They tried to jam way too much into one season it was it was too much
0: it's interesting looking at the um, imdb scores obviously the first three episodes mm. they're relatively well and then there's quite a drop and the score isn't there and i wonder whether that's some of that frustration coming
1: through from the viewers that what you've just described is perfectly in line with what i'm thinking because they started off they started off well but they the the latter half of the season they just lost me they just tried to do too much and by the end this sounds awful saying it but i'm gonna have to say it i was just waiting for this show to finish which is like sacrilege to be to be sitting here saying that about about star trek but it's um there was just layer upon layer and sometimes that makes for a good complex story if you think about shows like breaking bad you know just layer upon layer it's really good but here it just became a mess and on and on top of that it's not just Picard, but we have all these other characters we've got um rios who's messing up the timeline we've got rafi and seven off trying to solve a borg mystery as gerati's being consumed by the borg queen there's too many things going on there's so much that's great though the 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 music i mean it's terrible if i'm saying the music's a great thing you know and and the opening credits are a great thing that's not a good sign is it but there were some really great performances. Orla Brady as Talon, Alison Pill as Um, Both of them I thought were were really good, but they could only be as good as the story they were given. The special effects were superb, beautiful production quality. So much in there that was great. But um,
0: I don't want to be uh, ageist about it, um, but do you think they're trying to sort of like, you know, Patrick Stewart is, is not a young a young person. Do you think they were trying to sort of like rush through sort of a, some sort of key big ideas they wanted to get done, or what? Like, what do you think was sort of their their
1: reason for wanting to jam so many things into this? That's a really good question, and my answer is no. Because and the reason is because they already knew going into this that season three had already been confirmed, so they already right. they already had that in the bag, and that's already we've already had a trailer for that. In fact, that's one of the positives that's keeping me going is that uh, we we had on our news desk maybe six, seven weeks ago, that they've got the original cast from the next generation. And that may be a bit fanboyish of me. Um, but if they can get the story right and just try not to do too much, they might be fine because all of those things, you could have taken a third of them and had a a season there. And I was just sitting there around, and I'm gonna say this about another show that you and I both watched together later. I was about halfway through the season going what are we even doing at this point why what are we who are we trying to do this for why is this important and if i'm sitting there trying to figure that out that's they've lost me
0: it's a shame isn't it because and thank goodness we're not in the uh late 90s early 2000s where this probably would have been a 24 episode you know season but i think this is where i think i think the bbc in particular does like you've got Three episodes, you've got six episodes, and it's going to be some of the best television you've ever seen. And I think, you know, we don't need big long seasons anymore. I think people would far rather have really tight content that tells a good story, yeah, than episodes for the sake of episodes.
1: Yeah, and I think, no, you, you're absolutely right. But I think if this had been about any other different captain that we didn't know, some random Starfleet captain, it, it might be different. I'd still watch it and enjoy it. But because it's Picard, that's what draws me in because that is, you know. Recently, on our website, both of us have put our top ten TV shows of all time on the website on our um, about section on our website. Go check it out. And number one for me is Star Trek: The Next Generation. So, if you're going to make a sequel to that, it's Dane. You you really got to be careful with it. And so, I guess I'm more on edge around some of these things. Maybe if this was not about Picard, maybe I wouldn't be coming in with quite so much overall disappointment, which is a horrible thing to say. Yeah, let's let's move on before I. Get-
0: it's a shame because I've actually, a few other podcasts I've been listening to, I've actually heard um, not even specifically TV podcasts but they've sort of talked similar sort of views about this season, mm. uh, just in sort of it's weirdly come up in other other conversations. But I don't think you're alone in some of this feeling.
1: Just need a simple story. If they can do season three with the old crew and just keep a simple, straightforward story, they could really turn it around very, very quickly.
0: There's a Django Fit quote in there somewhere, Paul. <laughs>
1: Oh just a simple yeah um that's Star Trek Picard that is available to watch on Amazon Prime um going to keep that negative energy rolling on then because I watched a movie that I've been looking forward to seeing for some time and I see it scoring pretty well across the board with reviews with IMDb at 7.2 I watched 2021's The Suicide Squad and I was really looking forward to watching this movie because You and I, a long time ago, what was it, 2014, 2015, I don't know, when we watched the original Suicide Squad movie, and we reviewed that in written form uh, back in the day, and it was just, we were so taken in by that trailer, and then they delivered a movie which, which just wasn't what we wanted, and I just felt, as I was watching The Suicide Squad, which I had high hopes on with james gunn rising and directing i just felt old and the reason i felt old is because i'm thinking if everyone else is rating this movie relatively highly what is it about it that i'm not getting and i just felt like it's the comedy element that this movie tried to push that's combined with superheroes just doesn't work for me it kind of works if it's deadpool but when it comes to and again because it's the dc universe it just it just didn't quite work. So, you know, just sorry I realised I haven't even introduced the movie, but if it's, you know, super super villains Harley Quinn, Bloodsport, Peacemaker, and a collection of nutty cons joined together, uh jump, dropped off uh on an enemy-infused island of Quarto Maltese uh to take down this incredibly interesting starfish monster, but that was quite quite interesting. I don't know, Dan, I know you've seen this too, and I can't even <laughs> remember what you thought of it, but I just came away thinking, ah. Oh. Damn it, I really wanted that to be good. I was kind of probably in the
0: in the opposite camp. Like it, it's no um movie of the year for me, but I in general enjoyed it. And I think, you know, just hearing you say this, you know, how I was saying you should maybe watch Peacemaker and it was a really fun TV show, yeah. maybe it's not gonna be for you because it sort of it follows on with a obviously with with Peacemaker from this movie, and it's got a kind of similar sort of humour going throughout it. I think I gave it a little bit more of a pass, I think, because the first Suicide Squad was so terrible. Yeah. The bar was so low for me. And in general, like we've, you know, in my view, like Marvel smashes all of these, like when they want to cross um, all their superheroes or villains together, they they do it well. And I, in general – it's not DC's sort of stronger suit, but I feel like this for me was the first time they kind of introduced a whole bunch of characters and told a kind of a fun story. I don't think it's a movie I'd watch multiple times, but I felt like I had a good enough time watching it once.
1: Yeah. You're a younger man than me, Dan. I think that must be what it is. I, I just found myself, the other thing I want to touch on, I found myself getting, uh, cringed at the, the amount of swearing, and I don't want to sound like someone who's prudish about swearing because I'm not, because you and I both know if we sit down and watch a guy Ritchie movie or a Quentin Tarantino movie, we're we're there for all the swears. It's great. But there was something about it, and you know, I've talked about this with other things like modern day music in a in a superhero, supervillain movie. Something about it just doesn't qu- it was just an overuse. There was just a little bit too too much. Like I think it was it was said um I was just reading the stat here. It says it was said fifteen times in the first thirty minutes of the movies, and I don't know. I just, I just can't put my finger on it, Dan. But anyway, it's it's doing well with a lot of people. You had a good time. Did you have some characters that you at least maybe enjoyed, or was it
0: all just a bit of a, a miss for you?
1: No, I did. I much preferred the manner in which Harley Quinn was portrayed in this movie compared to the first. I thought she was very good. I thought um, uh, Idris Elba as Bloodsport was was very well cast i really enjoyed joel Kinneman as colonel flag again he was one of the ones who did make it across from the first one i, I think he's a good actor and i really uh, enjoyed him um that's pff, the john cena as peacemaker that's that's an interesting one for me i don't know um i'm i'm still on the fence as to whether i might give the tv show a go but yeah the 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 weasel the shack i came into it thinking oh, that's going to be good i was really looking forward to seeing peter capaldi because I, I don't know much about the guys till i'm round to watching him as doctor who i thought he was okay but i just thought his character was a bit weird it's just there are some things that just aren't for me and this was one of them like i rate birds of prey that you and i watched twice as twice as highly as as this movie
0: Interesting. If you're looking for a, a counter-perspective, maybe go back to yeah. the episode. Um, I think just looking at our uh, fancy review feature here, episode 77 of the Half Measures podcast is when I re- reviewed the Suicide Squad the first time. So, um, yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a shame, but I guess, you know, not all cup of tea's brewed equally porn.
1: Indeed not. Uh, that is available in New Zealand to watch on Neon if you want to give it a go and take my take my review with a pinch of salt um one cup of tea that brewed very nicely i must say that is season two of bridgerton that is a great tv show and that is another good season of of television so bridgerton this is the one that's set and uh, in the early 19th century london and basically is about two two rival families the bridgerton family and the featherington family and and throw in throw in the romance and um i may not have been positive in this podcast so far but this was fantastic it's so watchable for me this this show takes the best of a lot of british period dramas so things like danton abbey or Pride and Prejudice or even even other things we've seen like Gilded Age they just ramp it up a few gears in this show and it gives it a really sophisticated edge it gives it a it has a bit of a sideways glance at um with with more modern day sort of racial and gender attitudes season two was a lot less explicit than season one which I think had a lot of um very well done but all the same very big shock value whereas this season's more about tension and teasing and, and whilst I think that was the right direction to go rather than to try and repeat season one, I think at times they lent too much into the, the tease and in the end you're just screaming, come on, are they going to get together or what? But, um, very enjoyable season of television, Bridgerton season two.
0: It's funny cause this is a show that, uh, my, uh, Patreon producer slash wife is, always um should we watch Bridgerton and I just it's just not for me Paul <laughs> I and I don't know what it is and I feel like saying it's not for me it's probably a bit rich because I've never even given it a go but just I look at the pictures I look at everything that's about and I just I just can't bring myself to want to watch it but I she's watched it a uh, season one and I think she rewatched season one to get ready for season two like that's how much she enjoyed Perfect. it so um I know a lot of people do enjoy this show Unfortunately, I've just never been able to bring myself
1: to partake. Well, it's good that one half of the Whining king uh, relationship is is has got that class factor about it. Um, I think when you look at the photos, I can understand why you might actually say that if you not, but the pictures do not portray the the sharp dialogue that comes that comes with it, and it's very funny. The writing is really clever and and yeah they, they gave it a lot of color and vibrancy and kind of took it in directions that other period dramas don't you know sort of typically go in um but yeah you know, there's so much about it that's that the music is is modern it's still orchestral but it, um you know it still has a classic sound that you'd expect for that period but when you play close attention to the melodies season two for example you've got nirvana stay away you've got madonna material girl you've got rihanna you've got uh, wrecking ball by Miley cyrus i mean listening to me say that you you might be thinking this show's all over the place and crazy but it really works well the episode names are a modern day twist you know like one of them's called the vicant who love me you know there's and of course it's got that shonda rhymes edge to it and she is a bit hands-off in season two i think she's got an executive capacity in this season but um yeah, The quality of that sharp writing, um, Jonathan Bailey is very, very good as Anthony Bridgerton and uh, Simon Ashley as uh, Sharma. She's those were the two standouts for me, plus Polly Walker from Line of Duty, um, Nicola Coughlin, who's hilarious in Dairy Girls. She's she's good in this, although I will say they've pushed, they've pushed um, the the, the what's it called, Lady. I've forgotten the name, a uh, Lady Whistledane as much as so. There's this, there's this secretive, secret writer in the show, and I think they've pushed that story as far as it can go. But yeah, th- this is a as soon as season three drops, it's one of those ones I want to get on straight away. It's um, it's top draw.
0: I saw in when I was sort of looking through the the news desk, apparently season three is going to be based on book four rather than book three if that's up your rally ball. Just a bit of a uh, right. Bridget and Trivia for you.
1: That I was unaware of. I'm so behind I didn't even know for sure that they confirmed season three. So that is great news. I forgot. I have to give a shout out to Julie Andrews. Just like she is, you know, she's she's, she's right up there. You know, she's been around. But she narrates this series and has a brilliant voice and adds an element of comedy to it as well. Um, Lots of twists, lots of laughs. Maybe drag out the romance too much and you just want to say, come on, but... That's my biggest complaint. This is a this is a definite highlight for me. So that's two full TV series and a movie. I have watched a couple of other things, Dan, but I'm halfway through a couple of things I want to wrap up, and I feel like I've been talking for so long. I need to pass the stick to you.
0: <laughs> Grab yourself a glass of water. Um, yeah, I'm sort of the same. I've got a few things to talk about, but I'm gonna I'm gonna park a couple of them until next week. But I'm I am going to talk about. Uh, three TV series and a movie. So the first one I'm going to talk about, Paul, is one that yourself and another friend of ours has talked about a few times, Dairy Girls. Oh. So I finally gave it a whirl. Um, I watched this season one and two available here in New Zealand. And I believe season three is coming out soon. Um, this is sort of a, a show that's long been on my, my Netflix watch list. And I've just always kind of been like, is this, it is for me like you know when the trailer auto plays and I'm like "Dude, is this is this funny is this good and I kind of found it to be a show a little bit like The Detectorist for me where by the end of it I was completely in love with all of these characters and I don't even I didn't even necessarily enjoy some of the weird antics that happened but I appreciated the environment that they live in and just some of the dynamics between some of the main characters like you know, I'm sure I'm pre- I'm pretty late to the party here. Like I um who's the, the granddad in the house. Um yes. like uh, just just incredible. I, I know him from uh Game of Thrones. Um yeah. I think the antics the girls get up to, the way they treat um God, what's his name? Uh Dylan um Llewellyn is who plays James McGuire and he goes to the all girls school. Yeah. Like there's 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 so much there's so much laughs to be had here, and I actually feel like after sort of sitting down and watching these um, two seasons kind of back-to-back, that it's a show that I actually could imagine watching again, and I think it's a show I actually might get out of more and more as I as I kind of watch it, because I think there's so much um, witty, quick dialogue between all of these characters. There's a lot there to enjoy.
1: There I am, shackled to the radiator, and I says to myself, says I, the Tala fellow, or maybe it was the Schrader fellow. That guy, Uncle Com. That was a terrible accent, terrible Irish accent. I apologise, but that guy who plays Uncle Com, that that is in my top ten comedy scenes of all time. I found him superb. The people you've mentioned, it's so funny because I just I just talked about. Um, uh, Nicola Culkin from uh, from Bridgerton and and she's great in that too she's so good in this Ian McKenney McKenna, who who was the plays the granddad you were talking about he's superb there's just standout moments in this series I cannot wait for season three I'm so glad you've got around to watching it and I think the Detectress shout is a decent one because it has got that sort of vibe to it um it's- I think
0: this is a bit more intentionally funny, like they're, they're, they're doing more comedy, but I think the nature of the relationships and I just even love like how the, the dad, Jerry Quinn, is like, so like the, the granddad kind of like thinks he's worthless and he can't contribute to the household and, but he gets dragged along to do anything and he can't do anything right and it's, it's, oh, it's, it's, it's kind of a
1: wonderful time. I feel like I've got a my face is hurting from smiling because I've just as you've been talking, just I've just been flicking through all the photos of the first two seasons and so many great memories coming back.
0: Yeah, it's um it also sort of made me think and I I don't know whether this is going to be a, a good or bad thing, but it makes me think of Patty and Trisha from Science Traveling <laughs> <Heaven and laughs> team as well. And just I don't I don't know what it is. It's just just, just that connection there for me.
1: Well it's it's Northern Ireland Republic. I mean it, it's Ireland, right? It's it's close enough for us.
0: I, I feel like that's risky to say after watching this image. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. Taking ourselves in deeper,
0: Digging <laughs> ourselves in a hole. I even just love the the Catholic school in the end, and um, the main nun Sister Michael just so much, so much fun. How she's kind of just a this grumpy old old nun who who doesn't really want any shenanigans, but she's also like just got this such dry sense of humour. It's yeah. it's a lot of fun. I think if you're looking for a uh, an easy watch comedy and you haven't seen this one, I, w- I would add it to your watch list. Like, don't don't be late to the party
1: like me. 100%. Uh,
0: the other show that I have watched is season two of Euphoria. So a few weeks ago, um, came in with season one of Euphoria. Season two, just another smash hit. So this is basically a, a TV show here on um, Neon in New Zealand. Uh, It's an HBO TV show, basically a look at the life of a group of high school students as they grapple with issues of drugs, sex, and violence. And season two is very much a a strong build on season one. The drama intensifies. My love and fascination for these characters is deeper than ever. I'm so excited to hear that it's been renewed for a a third season. Um, Once again, like Zendaya... Absolutely incredible, incredible actress. Just like she, her, her character Paul, she plays a, a drug addict basically, mm-hmm. and she's she's a really down and out um, character, sort of place a sort of teenager. And when I think about Zendaya and Euphoria, and then I think about Zendaya and something like the Spider Man movies, you couldn't have two further apart characters. And I think just some of the the stuff that these. Um, young people i know a lot of them aren't actually teenagers they're sort of early 20s um bring to the screen is is it's it's top tier it, it's a fantastic tv show you've got to be in the right place so from uh you know like it's it just it really does and i said this was season one it touches on some pretty deep dark issues mm. um, that you need to sort of be ready to go with but if you are you're in for a ride
1: yeah a few people have now recommended this to me and interestingly a few people have also said to me almost in the same breath it's probably not for you paul which sometimes makes me want to watch it even more because i'm like what, what are you saying it's not for me i'll be the judge of that and then i'll watch it and I, <laughs> it may not be but um just looking at um zender she has really got quite a um career under her belt because she's also um june and she's lined That's up for right. the second june as well so um yeah it's across the board such massively strong reviews imdb all of the main critics
0: and it's kind it's kind of one of those hard tv shows to really talk about without kind of getting deep into the spoilers of the show because there's just so many um social issues in fact some of these episodes uh, samara and i have watched them and we've just kind of looked at each other when it's finished and been like (sighs)
1: <sighs> yeah. It was
0: heavy. Heavy going. Yeah. Um because it's just dealing with things you just uh you know, like we said the first time, um deals with things that you would you know, it's, it's the world as it is today but things that you would hate to see somebody going through. Yeah. Um and they they're bringing them all to the surface.
1: Very interesting. And that's on Neon, right?
0: That is on Neon, so yeah season 1 and 2. Um yeah, it's a it's a good one. I would highly recommend it, getting involved. Uh, and then the the third TV show that I actually want to talk about, I feel like I'm I'm rattling through these pretty quickly, but is Ozark um, season four part two? So this is the the final um, season of Ozark. Um, we did a if you have been listening to the podcast for a while, been on a bit of a, a rewatch journey of the first three seasons, um, then they've, they've split season four into two parts, and that final part just played at the end of April this is a this is an incredible tv show and it's got so much depth i say this all the time it's it's so up there for me with other shows like the you know the breaking bads the medical souls the it's just so well done i love the entire cast the ending is like it's great i think the again i don't want to sort of i don't want to ruin it for people i don't want to ruin it for you but i think it's it's such a a well-told story and it does have its kind of ebbs and flows and you know coming into the second half of season four I kind of expected the the pace to be maintained from the the end of the first part of season four but it, it kind of slows down again before it ramps up for sort of the the big finale but it's I think it's a fascinating sort of um piece around and it I kind of want you to watch it because I want to talk about these characters. I want to talk about some of the the things that happened to them and what some of the meanings Mm. are behind this. Because I think this this show has an ending with some of the great TV shows out there that kind of needs to be discussed and dissected. And, you know, it's kind of one of those shows where the ending isn't necessarily black and white. Here it is. It's an ending that kind of – you know, there's different options that could play out depending on where your kind of heart and mind is with this story. But the the Bird family, they got into money laundering. And much like in the Breaking Bad universe, as soon as you sort of start to dip your toe into these things, bad things come along with it. And before you know it, you're constantly dealing with dead bodies and cartels and all sorts of the FBI. And, you know, it's, it just gets – you get in deeper and deeper. And I, I honestly – the show deserves all the awards that it gets. It's it's such a great watch.
1: It's so interesting here you're making all those comparisons and just to, to you know when you're saying about Breaking Bad and then sort of saying when you get into something bad, as soon as you dip your toe, it comes in. Because one of the things I have watched, and I'm not going to review again because you and I have re- re- reviewed it in depth, was I've re-watched season five of, Pred- of Better Soul, Saul uh, in preparation for season six. And just what you just touched on there, could be very easily how i would have described that rewatch of season five of of medical so it was it was amazing and i see the ratings again have stayed high for this show its popularity is still number three right now um do you see no spoilers but do you see um this being the sort of show where they might do a similar sort of spin-off? Is there, is there room in this universe for that?
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I think there is room for a spin-off, but I I don't think they will. And I think they're gonna kind of leave it. I think they're grateful from the the interviews and the um, behind the scenes information that's come out that I've seen that I think this is kind of it is it, it it's one and done type thing. And I think they were grateful that they kind of got to tell the whole story over um, you know, four seasons that Netflix, the fans, the the funders behind this made it happen. And I think it's turned some of these people into, you know, Julia Garner, who plays Ruth Langmore, one of the best characters on the show, has gone on to make a whole bunch of other content, um, other movies. I think Jason Bateman is not only is he sort of one of the leads in this, he actually directs and produces a, a large number of episodes. And I think when I think Jason Bateman I often think about shows like Arrested Development and, you know, the sort of more comedic side. And yeah. I think he does bring that dry wit to the show, but this is a, a very serious sh- show and it doesn't sort of play into some of those typical roles that we might see someone like Jason Bateman in.
1: I challenge you to think of an actor who's done this better than Bateman in terms of coming from a very solid comedy base and now given a string of performances in roles which and and as you say not just uh in front of the camera but also behind the camera where he's actually shown that more serious nature to some really really gritty roles like i always talk about the outsider that i you know i really mm. just thought he was great in but yeah, you know, I, I can't think of another actor maybe and i haven't even seen Oz up from everything you've said across four seasons just now that's almost like that's his identity. He's a serious actor who occasionally does comedy, rather than what it was before.
0: And I've got to admit, the shows where he's also obviously directing as well as starring, that he's just so invested in it. And I think he's got such a an eye for detail. And I think it's one of those shows too where, you know, the like the house that the Bird family lives in, um, Jason Bateman's family. the show like the house is almost a character in itself like the the moody sort of lighting like everything's kind of considered and thought about and i think that combined with some good storytelling is, is is so good and i think what a perfect time to now you know if you've never seen any Ozark, to be able to jump in and watch all of it at once you're in for a hell of a ride
1: brilliant very very good
0: and so check that out on netflix Uh, So the final thing that I want to talk to you about, we've got a lot today, Paul, a lot that we're talking about, is while I was away on my honeymoon, we went and saw on opening night, actually, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness at the movie theater. So so we actually saw this at a a movie theater in Queenstown, and we were kind of like, oh, this is probably a good time to see this movie. And we went to buy some tickets, and it was basically sold out. We had to sit in the second row from the front of the screen. So this is... Like, it was so intense, particularly in a, uh, you know, weird New Zealand's at, sort of in its COVID cycle. It felt very intense. With all the, Like, there was no spacing between people. It was a, a packed out there. It was very intense. But I, we were really keen to sort of see this movie, particularly after our, our big timeline rewatch of all of the Marvel movies. And we weren't super hyped to go into this movie. Like, we watched the trailer once, and, you know, we are fans of Doctor Strange, but we weren't really sure where all of this was heading. It's a great movie, Paul. We really enjoyed it. So the basic premise here is, so Dr. Stephen Strange casts a forbidden spell that opens the doorway to the multiverse, including alternate versions of himself, um, whose threat to humanity is too great for the combined forces of Strange, Wong, and uh, Wanda Maximoff. So also starring um, Wanda from, remember, WandaVision. And so basically you've got this, it's kind of this great concept of Doctor Strange sort of traveling through all these universes, coming across versions of themselves, having to sort of solve these complex problems. Incredible special effects. It's a it's a really dark movie. It's probably the darkest mo- um a Marvel film I've seen, and I know that there's been lots of conversation online that's currently sitting at a, a PG thirteen about whether it should even be a an R rating. And so this this movie directed by Sam Raimi. It is, you know, there was sort of talk up front that this is more of a, almost kind of a horror, I'd say with a small h, horror film and I think it, it is like that, there's some very intense um, scenes, there's some sort of like a shock value scenes, there's some sort of jump scares, there's um, some pretty gruesome deaths that happen in this movie. And as soon as you open up things like multiverses, like you never, you know, there's always so many people like dying and coming and going. There's a whole bunch of great spoilers they bring, not great spoilers, a whole bunch of extra characters they bring, in, which I, I won't talk about because of the spoilers, but it really starts to open the door for where else the, I guess the Marvel cinematic universe is going.
1: I just did a scroll through the cast because I was getting obsessed with looking at the cast thinking, oh, wow, they're in it, wow. And then I've just come across a couple of names and I've gone, oh, oh, wow. Okay, so I, I, I see where you're heading with that. Um It's extraordinary. And even I, who... You know, I feel like there's like this new country on the planet and everyone's been there and I haven't and everyone knows all the good restaurants and all the good places to visit. That's what this, you know, just hearing you talk about Wanda and I already know who that is through you. I've heard about various deaths in the Marvel Cinematic Universe sort of timeline and I guess multiverse of madness. Some people might come back. There could be any number of possibilities. I kind of always wonder, you know, like, what was his name? The Infinity Snap guy? So, yep. Yeah, him. It, that felt like that was the most powerful thing in this Marvel universe. But now Doctor Strange doing this feels like that's more powerful. But then we've also seen, um, uh, Ultron. I mean, I just who's the ultimate? This one feels like it could be the ultimate.
0: I think what's interesting about this movie is so obviously, um, Wanda is kind of the the main villain I guess you could say of of this movie and I think what's interesting about it is obviously we've had a, a six or seven episode um, WandaVision TV show and it was interesting to see how the movie kind of if you've watched that TV show then you're probably more richer for it mm. but they also made it quite accessible in the sense that if you haven't seen the TV show here's enough of what you need to know to know why Wanda is behaving the way that she's behaving and I think they sort of balance that quite well because I think that's always the challenge right like when you've got content on your streaming service that not everyone can access um, you've got to be careful with how you kind of don't lose people in these journeys.
1: Wow number one this movie is rated currently obviously it's pretty new you you obviously you know over the course of a, a number of podcasts probably two or three months ago went through all of the Marvel movies and gave a rough sort of feel where you thought some of the stronger ones were or for first viewing, how, how up there is this one?
0: Mm, mm, it's a tough one to answer. Like it's, like, it's probably, you know, I think there was like 25 or so movies. Like it's probably, it's probably in my top 10 I would maybe say. So it's, it's probably not top five, but it's, it was enjoyable. Um, I sometimes, and this is more of a personal thing. I get a bit fatigued with like multiverses and um, jumping through time, and just sort of like the sometimes the complexity of it. It doesn't make for sort of like easy watching at times. But I think they did this in, in a relatively good way. Um, and I well, like I'm the characters that sort of have more sort of like magical powers and stuff. Uh, don't sort of resonate with me as much. But I, I think it still was a, a really good movie. Obviously, great effects. Great story. Um, it's different from the other Marvel movies, and I think that sort of darker horror element works um, for this. But I don't think it's something I'd want to see in all of the the Marvel movies. I think they sort of need to keep their their upbeat colorfulness of it and when I say that I think about movies like the new Thor movie that's coming out like it kind of has a bit of a feel-good vibe to it as well whereas this even the poster doesn't any of this like it's it looks quite sort of dark and yeah. witchcrafty and it's got a it's got a real presence about it
1: Um, yeah uh, what you've said has been very much in line with a number of people I've heard who've you know including, including my manager she watched it at the cinema as well and very similar to you loved it Um, it's This is one of those, you know, that appeals to me. Like I've seen the first Doctor Strange movie. I'm a big, as we know, Benedict Cumberbatch fan. I think this is one that I would be tempted to go watch. But what I'm hearing is also to get that full richness. I feel like I would be like a Star Wars fan jumping into the Ahsoka live action series having never seen Clone Wars.
0: Mm -mm. I think you could jump into this. I guess I don't know given kind of where you're at with these movies would I rush out to the cinema to see it probably not but if it came up on my on when it comes on Disney Plus which I'm it's probably not that far away to be honest it's probably worth a watch right because I think you know you could watch a, a Spider-Man movie to kind of refresh yourself about weekly Doctor Strange was in the, in the most recent Spider-Man movie or you could even watch the most recent Doctor Strange movie and kind of give yourself enough of a thread to kind of follow um but if yeah, I, I think having that wider context definitely plays out. I don't know what it would be like if you were just jumping in without some of this yeah. pretty key information that supports it. But in saying that, I'm kind of just um, I'm blabbering now. But I, I think it's they are trying to set up the next phase of the Marvel movies. So I think they I think they're working quite hard so that you know. It, you just turn in the fifteen, sixteen. Now you want to go see this movie? You could kind of, you could jump in here, mm. and you'll always have that back catalog, right? Um, but I think they're they're trying to make the entry point accessible for people.
1: Nice, very good, very good.
0: So that this is this is a very long. What have we been watching, Paul? Like we've, I don't think we've ever gone almost fifteen minutes into a podcast, um, and I know that we're holding some stuff back, but there is one other show that we've actually both had on the agenda to watch, which is. Um, season four of Killing Eve.
1: Yeah the the final the final season, and you and I have spoken on this podcast about season three, and of course season one and two came out before we started up Half Measures. But um, if you haven't seen this before, um, the the very brief synopsis of this is after a series of events, the life of a security operative and an assassin become inextricably linked, and this one. Was uh, came to us by uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who created the show. Very, very, very talented writer. Dan, I'll just kick us off by saying I want to say, overall, as a series, this is a show I've really enjoyed and got a lot out of. It was very, for me, it was very different to anything else out there. Nothing else sort of did it quite like this show. And there were elements of this final season that I thought were really, really compelling and, and actually quite exciting at times. but. At the same time, overall, if I am honest, this season is probably the weakest of the lot for me, which is a little bit of a shame. What about you?
0: Yeah, look, I am in the same camp. Like for the longest time, if someone had said to me, "What's a good show I can watch that you know isn't the Game of Thrones, the Breaking Bad, the you know Bit of Souls," I might have said to them, "Give Killing Eve a go. It's really fun. It's really different. The first the first two seasons fantastic. Season three still good." season four this did not hit with me and I I thought to myself like actually started um season four, episode one, and I was like, well, stop yourself. Go and watch a YouTube video to remind yourself what happened in season three because you don't want Paul Canale telling you. That's right. Go and watch it. And I did that, and I was like, "Ah, oh, it's still – like, I'm feeling a bit fuzzy. So I actually went went back and I watched a recap of all three seasons. Oh, wow. Just the just kind of – like, it was a 20-minute recap to just be like, okay, so, what oh, yes, 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 this is what's happening with these characters. And – I just think I failed to connect with this show for the entire time. And like you mentioned with Picard, I kind of found myself watching this show like a bit of a chore where there was moments of this is the Killing Eve uh, that I remember and loved. But I think the overall storytelling where the direction they went with some of these characters didn't work
1: for me. Yeah, it's 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 a shame. And look, I really don't know what to make about the ending the final episode for me was a very very poor way to, to 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 go out i i mean to be honest and i guess we're going to talk a little bit spoilerish i'll try and be like but you know to be honest i always thought given the name of the show i always thought maybe eve might not make it to the end so i found the ending quite interesting but i just wasn't interested in the new characters they jammed in towards the end as well i mean they were well acted so the people that played uh pam and is it helene like i just thought it just felt a little bit all too rushed the the positives for me were um the the quality once again of of the cast so um sandra oh and, and jodie coma as as the leads just absolute super top class actresses um kim bodnia who plays constantine I always enjoy him. He's got a great laugh. Um, my main highlight is actually Fiona Shaw, who plays Carolyn, just because of the way she plays a character and the way she delivers her her lines with such a dryness. But that is that is really it, and it's kind of my a similar response to what I'd sort of said about the you know some of the people I enjoyed in Picard. They were great, but they can only be as good as the as the story they've been given. And the fact that my positive reflection is all about the the quality of the acting. Tells me that something big is missing.
0: I think. Um, I think for me, this season, I would have rather had like four episodes or five episodes. They kind of just wrapped up the story, rather than it just kind of felt like it was dragged out. And I think you're right. The extra characters that were added in, I didn't resonate with them at all. I felt like it was too late in the piece to be adding them. I think the real big flaw for me with this whole season is the whole thing became about sort of bringing down the 12. And then when we brought down the 12, we didn't even see who they were. It became kind of irrelevant. Um, The fact that, you know, spoilers, um, that Villanelle – Um, didn't make it then was kind of frustrating. I I would have rather had a sort of a season about um, Fiona Shaw, Jodie Comer, Sandra Oh's character, maybe that plays Constantine, them actually, the four of them maybe having to work together as opposed to just kind of retreating this old water of um, who's kind of double-crossing who and trying to sort of, I I just, it it, honestly, it felt really sloppy to me. And I, I just feel like it was a wasted opportunity for this, Great cast that's done three great seasons, and it just it didn't go anywhere that was that was interesting. Yeah,
1: it's um, you really hit the nail on the head there. I felt, and I, I'm going to repeat myself from Picard, but there were large portions but I just felt, "What are we doing here? Why? Why should I care about this? Where are we going?" Uh, and in many ways, in many ways, this series lost its way the moment two things happen. Firstly, Villanelle. Sort of stopped doing what she was doing in those first couple of seasons, where she was she was she was going in as an assassin and killing people, which is like a terrible thing to want a character to do. But but doing it the way she did in elaborate costumes and doing it with all these brilliant accents that Jodie Comer can do was just great. And then the second thing was, of course, Eve sort of stopped chasing Villanelle, and those sort of those things just were really integral to why I enjoyed the show. And I just didn't know what was going on, and I was just questioning myself about why am I not it reminded me of when you and I watched Dark, and there were moments like I, I'm, I'm not quite up with it but I enjoyed Dark the whole way through I didn't maybe understand it all whereas with this I didn't understand it and I wasn't enjoying it and to put that into contrast and I know I said I wouldn't talk about Better Call Saul season five but since it is something I've watched recently I must have been on the train from Wellington to where I live here on the coast hundreds of times and I've never missed my stop I was so into this episode of season five of Better Call so It's the one where uh, Jimmy and Mike are in the desert and they're having to, you know, with the money. I was so into this on my phone that I was 10 seconds, 10 seconds away from the door shutting on my stop on the train. I was just, and that's the thing. At no point did I ever feel anywhere close to being that deep into this universe. I was sitting there just like you going, what's going on?
0: Well, I think that's interesting, right, because so – Samara was like, when we watched this, like, wait for me to watch it, wait for me to watch it. I think at about episode three, she was like, I'm done. And she, she just, mm. she, she left. She went, she went on to something else. So, um, and I think, I think you're right. It was the Villanelle was better when she was a, a real sort of like lovable villain. And Eve was better when she was trying to capture Villanelle. And I think, you know, the, the love story bit was kind of interesting, but that whole dynamic just, became a bit forced and a bit weird. And I felt like like even Constantine lost his edge in the season. And like I, the, I have sort of heard some things that they might be doing a, a spin-off show with um, Fiona Shaw's character. Oh, wow. But I, I just don't know, Paul. I, you've kind of dirtied the water for me. I, I don't know if I'm interested. Um, and I don't know. Like, I think Fiona Shaw, fantastic actress, but I don't know if there's enough there for me to want to come back to
1: this universe no that's right is she is she strong enough to lead off by herself it's kind of like we talked about with andrew lincoln gone from the walking dead is daryl strong enough to lead it's, it's that kind of dynamic for me i don't know that fiona sure would be with all due respect to her, i don't know that she would lead a show i don't, I don't know there's um yeah you know, we're both being a bit harsh in it there were there were moments early on where i really lost interest and i think the final penultimate three episodes did start to ramp up quite well but the i was just looking down have you seen the rating for that final episode 3.2 so it's not just us that's good it's always good to know because this is the problem i had when i watched the suicide squad i'm like okay this is obviously just me this is not just us it's this is a lot of people who watch the show
0: yeah i i don't it's it's so disappointing isn't it because i think Particularly, um, Villanelle is such a a wonderful character, and like her, her fashion and her style, and like you mentioned before, the the extravagance of the way that she would bring down one of her targets was was so much fun, and I just I didn't think we had any of that apart from kind of, um, I guess. N- Villanelle was, you know, she's a bit of a superhero almost in in this sort of last season where, you know, she can kind of bring down anyone. She always comes out on top and almost kind of Eve turned a bit more into the, I guess, the, the killer in a bit of a weird way in this season. Mm.
1: Question for you, Dan. Do you think, for anyone who's listening, who's maybe like, oh, well, I'll give that a miss. Do you think maybe this would be a series that would play out better if you watched all four and binged it in, in, in one go? Because I just feel like, you know, when they walk into a room, I'm like, these two characters would meet different characters. I'm like, I don't even know if they're friends or not. And I I felt mm-hmm. stupid that I didn't understand why they were trying to kill each other or weren't trying to kill each other because I didn't understand if they were enemies or allies. Do you think it would play it better if you watched all four?
0: I think it would. I think if you've never seen the show, you'd probably have a relatively good time. And I do wonder, and it's a shame if you're still listening at this point because we've already sort of like given the spoiler, um, if you haven't seen it, that I think that, final review score on IMDB is probably because of the death of one of the main characters. Yeah. and I think it's because people get upset when when main characters are killed off. And I don't think that necessarily is a problem, no,
1: not for me, either. but
0: I think it's the the way they went about it and the way they kind of like used their time to do this kind of just didn't feel right. It didn't feel earned and it didn't feel, you know, like this isn't um, the end of the sopranos. this is. They hadn't put in the work.
1: Yeah, that's right. No, that's a that's a fair comment as well. So, um, if you're in New Zealand, it's available to watch on TVNZ on demand.
0: All right, Paul. God, it's it's, it's been a busy time on the podcast. We obviously do remember how to do it. Shall we? Uh, shall we jump on into our
1: movie of the week? Yes, indeed. So every weekend, unless we're doing a special podcast, of course. Every other weekend, we announce in our Discord community. A movie that we're going to watch for our movie of the week feature the following week. And this week, Dan, we have gone with a relatively new movie, 2022, in fact, All the Old Knives.
0: Yeah, so this movie is about two CIA agents and ex-lovers um, who are brought back together years after a failed rescue, rescue attempt and forced to blur the lines between profession and passion in this deeply riveting tale of global espionage, moral dilemma and deadly betrayal.
1: Well, God, it's been a while since. Windfall was our last movie of the week, Dan. I'm a little out of practice on the movie of the week. i will try to avoid spoilers, but I will... Say that this is a movie that isn't rating too high from what I've seen across the board, but I actually really enjoyed this. I thought this was a this is one of the highlights of the things I've watched this week i i I think again trying to avoid spoilers but the the way this movie finished the way it all came together and finished it's a bit of a cliche to say you know it was a clever twist at the end, but there was kind of a double twist, and I thought that that was clever and it's and it, and, it, and it didn't leave me feeling like, oh, it was so obvious it was going to be that person who did it, or it was so obvious that it was going to be them, and this is why I felt like the way they wrapped it up, combined with a whole bunch of other things, which I'll also talk about in a moment, I I had a good time with it. What about you?
0: So I think, um, so star started cast, so we've got Chris Pine, he's the man, we've got Thunder Wee Newton, we've got Jonathan Price, we've got Laurence Fishburne. Um, I came into this movie, to be honest with you, Paul, with a bit of a bad attitude. You know, sometimes when you're like, you're watching movie of the week and you're like, I feel like I'm not going to enjoy this. And I felt like I went into this movie kind of thinking that. And I was pleasantly surprised. I actually had a really good time. Um, it kind of instantly kind of captivated me. It was very different from anything I was kind of expecting. And I think the twist the, the twist on the twist on the twist at the end um, kept it really interesting and I think it's a. I can. It's interesting to see that it's sort of got this six point one sort of score floating around on IMDb. I think it's kind of should be a little bit higher than that. Mm. Like it's probably about a seven or seven and a half for me. I think it's. It's probably just not the. People probably come into a movie like this looking for a bit more action, particularly when you think about an actor like Chris Pine. But it's a very kind of. Um, dry sp- uh, spy thriller and I think it does a good job of sort of telling the story sort of through flashbacks Yeah, and um, you kind of have to pay attention to it but it's
1: I think it's worth the time Yeah, you definitely do have to pay attention and I think to your point about expecting an action movie I think the poster even without that reading I think the poster gives me a sense of oh, it's not going to be action you know, it's got the dark corridor mm-hmm. and someone coming along with a torch and so I knew what I was getting myself into and I think what you said about the flashbacks, I think that's one of the things the movie does really, really well. You know, it takes place essentially during three different time periods, primarily across two periods, but actually there's three. And I just thought they did a really good job, um, you know, even with, you know, with haircuts and other things to make it really obvious when we are. And, you know, we didn't have to use any on-screen text to explain that the events were, you know, basically split across 15 years at some points. And I just thought... um, you know i had no idea who it was going to be without talking about what the who was about um and good run time an hour and 41 you know it was a it was a good easy watch and as a huge star trek fan i have to i have to say i really like chris pine as captain kirk so it, he, you know he really surprised me in those three trek movies he made kirk my favorite character which has never been the case before and yet the reason i'm mentioning that is because Often I can't then disassociate, but I can with him. I think he does a really, really good job. He's got a lot of different styles of acting that he brings. And I, you know, if I think, I don't mean this with any disrespect, but uh, Mark Hamill is always Luke. Uh, Roger Moore is always Bond. Uh, Even Anthony Hopkins is sometimes a little bit Hannibal. There's just certain things that I can't disassociate. I really disassociate, well, with Chris i thought him and fandy newton together were were brilliant i thought she played her part exceptionally well my biggest complaint here actually was there was just not enough jonathan price i you know i saw him on the cover and that really appealed to me i thought he be been in a lot more and it's not just because i like him as an actor but because i felt like i needed his character fleshed out a little more so that he would be a little bit more suspicious so that I might be thinking, oh, I wonder who it might be. And yeah, maybe that one hour 41 needed to go to one hour 50 to give me a bit more for him.
0: One of my um, favorite scenes in this movie, Paul, and we've joked about this on the podcast before, is so Lawrence Fishburne is Chris Pine's boss. And he basically sends Chris Pine out on a, basically a bit of a mission. I, I want you to clean this up and I don't want any of it to come back i want no blowback and chris bine's like say it say what you want me to do like and it's i just love like you know those vague instructions around are are we talking about killing someone like can you just confirm that for me there's no kind of like verbal cue it's just kind of like you know what i mean yeah and i i I love that scene uh between those two characters
1: yeah it is really good it's it's almost like a i don't know like a seth mcfarlane kind of family guy humor like are we talking about the same you mean this right it's yeah it it was yeah and Lawrence Fishburne delivers it so well he plays that boss role like like he 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 does in Mission Impossible like he does in I don't know how the movies he's just so good in that space can we just
0: – so if you haven't watched this movie, I think maybe fast forward 60 seconds, but can we just talk about sort of the, the final twist at the end of this movie, Paul? Yeah. Um. And so what's kind of funny about this movie is that I feel like Chris Pine is investigating this case, and it turns out he's the actual guilty party and all of this, yep. and it's like – it's such a, a a crazy concept, and the sort of sh- the final showdown between himself and um, Dandy Newton is – it's great. I actually had to, I had to go away and think about this movie afterwards and be like, what? So he was investigated and he turned out to be the, he's the one that kind of, you know, came out losing. And
1: he was set up to do the investigation with the knowledge that they were sort of, Oh, it's him. And so they double crossed him by giving her the heads up and with the poison. And if anyone's scrubbed ahead 60 seconds, they probably need to go another 60. Um, I, I just thought that they because there was an element of and this isn't this isn't my words this is diana's but it was kind of like oh if it's going to be him it's going to be disappointing and i and i think that that would be correct if it wasn't for the added twist around mm. the when you see the things through his eyes and the things we haven't seen it's um it's clever because there's 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 real life crimes and in cases where we may all be on the same page as an audience going, oh yeah, well that person's guilty and they deserve to go away. And we just don't know about some of the things that may have happened along the way. And maybe, maybe their reasons aren't strong enough sometimes. And that's where it's a a bit of a moral dilemma.
0: It's, um, look, it's a, it's a good movie. It's a good spy thriller. Um, I think you could do far worse. I think just go into it knowing that this is a, a bit of a, it's not. It's not going to be an action packed. It's not sort of no. guns blazing the whole way. It's there's a story to be told here, and I think, um, yeah, it's it's a it's a good one to check out, and you can watch that on Amazon Prime or as they like to say, Prime Video.
1: Oh yeah, Prime Video. Sorry, correct. Quite right. I'm out of practice. Yeah, uh, mystery thriller. If that's your if that's your thing, yeah, definitely give it a go. What's your what's your guns Akimbo kimbo score, then? Oh, I think for me.
0: It's almost like a 2.75. Wow.
1: You've changed. This marriage has really changed you.
0: <laughs> I feel like I want to give it a three, but I don't. A, a three feels quite strong, but it, it's probably, but two's not enough. Three feels like too much. It's it's kind of like, I think it's edging towards something, something good. And I think, it, you know what, Paul? Let's give it three guns. It's
1: three guns. I'm glad we agree.
0: Good, good.
1: Well, Paul, it's probably time for your your question that you'd like to ask at the end of what have we been watching. Well done. You, 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 you still remember some things. Yeah. So of everything that you have talked about on today's podcast, Dan, what's your pick of the week? If you had to say to listeners, look, don't waste your time with this. Go and watch this instead. What's your pick?
0: I think I'm going to have to go with the final season of Ozark. I mm. think I just thoroughly enjoyed it enjoyed the conclusion yes it left me a few questions but nothing that's gonna like leave me with a sleepless night so yeah Ozark season four part two for me what about yourself
1: well I'm, I'm kind of cheating a little bit here because I didn't talk about it because we have talked about it before but then I brought it up anyway and that was Better Call Saul season five quite possibly the greatest season of television i've ever witnessed and i challenge season six to be better than that um but of the stuff i've really talked about it would definitely be bridged in season two
0: good chat lots of stuff here for our viewers to get involved with if they haven't got anything on the on the go at the moment
1: right now though it's time to head over to the news desk where mr whiting king has the latest headlines <laughs>
0: All right, all right, all right. So I've got a couple of things here, a few a few bits of Star Wars news. So, um Spider-Man's John Watts is reportedly making a Star Wars coming-of-age TV series. And so very few details are known about this yet, but it's going to be set in the the same sort of time period as The Mandalorian, so just after Return of the Jedi. And it's kind of rumored to kind of have a bit of a, a Goonies-type vibe to it. And so, look. Brilliant. Color me, color me interested, but also a little bit tentative. We'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens there. I'm, I'm unsure what this is going to be like. But if they got the tone right, it could be good. But it's also there's a few red flags popping up for me. Yeah,
1: it's a it's, it is a dangerous thing as well as an exciting thing. I think. Firstly, I love the fact uh, John Watts obviously has a great track record. Everything I've heard about No Way Home. Um, I love the fact that they're also talking post Return of the Jedi. I think that is a great space to plan because. The Emperor is gone, Vader is gone, but the Empire is still hanging around. You know, there's still the remnants. I think that's a great space to play in. The coming of age is interesting. We haven't had that before. But the Goonies vibe, as much as I was like, oh, yeah, that sounds cool, when I actually think about it in the context of it's kind of like what I said about Suicide Squad, there's there's an element of comedy that can only go so far for me, so they have to be careful.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, it it looks like they're casting for sort of three or four sort of, 12, 13-year-olds. And so I think just watch this space. I think um, we'll see what happens, but who knows, Paul. Mm. Speaking of Star Wars, so another couple of bits on the news desk here. So when discussing Solo's box office disappointment and how Eldon Aaron Rich took the role of a younger version of Harrison Ford's classic character, um, Lucasfilm president Kathleen Kennedy said, now it does seem so abundantly clear that we can't do that. And so I think what's interesting about this is, I think that, you know, we we're fans of the solo movie, Paul. There's there's no Mm. two ways about it. Um, I think what's interesting though is, this kind of very clearly says they're no longer going to cast actors like younger versions of these actors, which I think is interesting in the context of our um, Luke Skywalker conversations. Like, will they cast someone else to play Luke Skywalker? And I think based on this sort of um, bit of news or release from Lucasfilm, I don't think they will.
1: I really struggle with this. Um, and I feel myself turning into one of those people that drove me away from Twitter. It's I Kathleen Kennedy has a great history of movies all the way back to et back to the future you, know, you you can't fault but i just feel like she's speaking a little out of turn there because both Alden and donald did amazing jobs with those characters there was no fault with the portrayal i've seen a video where Alden's being interviewed i think by ew magazine or someone and harrison ford walks up behind him to s- surprise him and he because harrison ford very honest man on camera he does not Mess about, and he 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 spoke so highly of his performance, and he says he could not have been happier with the way he handled it and the way he went about it. And you and I, you know, just in our last podcast, one one six talked about solo with with such positivity. And I've got stuff to talk about that in the mailbag. I just don't think those are the reasons that she should point to as to why that movie was not a financial success.
0: I think that's right, and I think um, just, you know, I've been trying to really stay clear of anything um, Obi-Wan Kenobi series-related, but I have seen a couple of um, statements from particularly Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen around how they've really come to actually appreciate the, the, the Star Wars fans that now love the prequels, and that when they first released, they got such a hard time about those movies, and it kind of put them off the Star Wars universe. And I feel like I, in general hear nothing but praise for the solo movie. But I feel like because of that initial backlash, we'll never get a solo to, or we'll, you know, we'll have to get it through other mechanisms. And it's it's a shame that um I think sometimes the reaction of these sort of large corporations feels a little bit knee jerk at times. Mm.
1: I, I yeah I think you're absolutely right. I think it is knee jerk. And you know, the other thing is Catherine Kennedy is wrong, I think, in there. But I think the, the the overall direction that Lucasfilm has gone in and moving into this TV space with the Andor series, with the Obi-Wan series, with the so and the, I think all of those are the right moves. But I think there are some things that um, are still not quite... They, we need to walk into that room, Dan, you and I. I think we know what's needed.
0: I think we need to get on the on the payroll. I think that's that's the goal. Speaking of um, Kathleen Kennedy, one final bit of Star Wars news for me. So Star Wars is now about persistent storytelling, yes. not, not trilogies, says Kathleen Kennedy. We all need to work together to create the architecture for where we're going. And I think, again, like, obviously they've found quite a bit of success, I think, in, in Disney Plus with TV shows. And I think... it's kind of funny, like there's nothing wrong with like, you know, Star Wars trilogies can also be a great thing. And I kind of like, I, I would hate to think that we're never going to get that movie going experience again. And I, I I know that we're going to, because, you know, the next movie sort of slated to come in the Star Wars spaces, Taika Waititi's movie. And I, I, hopefully that'll, that'll be something good, but it's, it's so interesting that they have to put out these, these messages.
1: Yeah. I'm guessing that she's putting to bed, all the rumors of the Rick Grimes trilogy, Rick Grimes, the <laughs> Ryan, Johnson Ryan Johnson, trilogy.
0: Johnson,
1: <laughs> the Ryan Johnson trilogy, and I think I do agree with what she's saying in principle. What she's—I don't think about the movie element, but I think trying to say we're going to do a trilogy, I think that's that's not the way forward <laughs> because we've seen what happened when you gave JJ Abrams creative control, then flicked it to Ryan and went back to JJ, and we'll talk about that in the timeline rewatch reviews later. Um but I think in principle she's right, but don't discount movies altogether.
0: Alright, so I'm going to whip us through the, another couple of bits of news. So, um, Black Mirror Season 6 is now reportedly in development. So if you're a Black Mirror fan, um, we know that we had Season 5 about three years ago. Um, and they only had a few, three episodes, I believe, came out in that fifth season. But apparently the time is right for a, a sixth season. So that should be coming our way soon. Um, we've got an official release date for She-Hulk attorney at law that's coming our way on august 17th on disney plus and then the final bit of news that i wanted to talk to you about today paul is so you know um 1883 is the kind of the prequel to Uh, Yellowstone the next show in in that realm is 1932 which which I absolutely love because it's kind of jumping through different time periods and it's just been announced that Helen Mirren and Harrison Ford have been cast in um, 1932 which I think is fantastic
1: I I had that as one of the things I had. I thought, oh, if Dan hasn't heard this, I can't wait to see his face. Harrison Ford being cast in a television show is one thing, but having him cast in the Yellowstone series, that's something else. Um, him and, him and Helen Mirren, of course, starred together in the Mosquito Coast. So that'll be great to have them together.
0: Yeah, look, I, I think... It's it's going I can already feel the Dutton vibes yep. coming off Harrison. Oh, yeah, so I fully. think I think this is going to be good. And I think he brings a a great amount of kind of anger and frustration which will which will be fantastic. But that is me for the new cesspool Anything else on your end?
1: Oh, I think I was so fired up about the Yellowstone that that was that was all I was focused on. There's been so much over the last 4 weeks, so many trailers, the new Predator trailer, the um trailer for oh we've got a Detectress feature-length special coming out so if you're big Detectress fans like us uh, season one and two there's going to be a feature-length special the Avatar 2 trailer I've tried to avoid a number of things but I would really wanted to see the Avatar 2 trailer and I have to admit being a little bit underwhelmed by the trailer myself so
0: I, I agree I um I think I've come to the conclusion that I'm not really an Avatar fan like I enjoyed the first movie but I didn't love it and watching this trailer has done nothing for me. Yeah the trailer's done nothing
1: for me and I'm the opposite because I i was not interested in the hype from the first trailer i didn't go to the cinema to see it i took a long time to get around to seeing it and then i saw it and i really enjoyed it and had a real appreciation for what james cameron did and so i am hyped for the second one but the trailer's done nothing for me but sometimes that's a good thing because too often trailers hype me up so much that it just leads to disappointment one thing that i don't think will disappoint me is a quiet place day one which was announced as the third movie in the quiet place trilogy so that's that's pretty exciting, but um, yeah, I think those are the most recent uh, headlines, and um, yeah, exciting times ahead. There's so much to to dive into with Obi wan just now, uh, just less than ten days away. It's incredible.
0: I I feel like I've done so well, Paul. I haven't watched any new trailers. I haven't like I'm not reading any sort of like apart from that sort of like little nugget of information about. Uh, thoughts and feelings on the prequels I have done a great job of steering clear
1: yeah I, I saw a Vanity Fair article I saw a front cover and I didn't didn't click on it and uh, old Paul would have clicked on it for sure old Paul Canauer Yeah, who you're referring to that's correct it's a kind of a strange old hermit uh, Dan mailbag having not done mailbag for four weeks and you know having a bad memory there's probably some stuff I've forgotten but there there was quite a few things so I'll just give a few highlights um firstly our favorite decepticon starscream uh frank todaro messaged us messaged us sorry he is planning a trip to new zealand and uh he's looking forward to raising a glass with us in person um so he's messaged us to give us a heads up on that so we're gonna have to mentally prepare Dan for a sit down drink with starscream
0: We've also got a special shout out to that guy I just saw on his Facebook page. He just got engaged. So oh, uh, I didn't even see that. Much, much love to um, him and his
1: um, fiance. Oh, that's awesome! That is awesome. Daniel book review of Phasma, which feels like an eternity ago that you spoke about it, but uh, that was shared on Twitter by the author herself, Delilah S. Dawson, which was pretty cool. Our review of our last movie of the week, Windfall, that was shared by Academy Award-winning writer Andrew Kevin Walker, who not only wrote Windfall, but also wrote one of uh, the greatest films, Seven. Um, so when he's not writing Seven, he's doing a bit of half measures. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, oh, yeah. If you What's in the box? Oh, <laughs> I don't know. measures. I haven't looked in the box. If you cast your mind back, um, when we reviewed Stephen Merchant's comedy series The Outlaws, um lead actor gamba cole who played christian that he retreated our review and he posted it on his instagram story so that was that was pretty cool uh, a couple of things from our four star wars podcasts firstly um nat from wellington uh commented on our instagram that he agreed with my comment in the phantom menace review about that movie starting too far back too young. He wants three movies of Anakin and Obi wan as adults, so that the that that um that payoff you get in Revenge of the Sith is is more meaningful. So that resonates with me a lot, and I guess that ramps up expectations for the Obi wan series in a couple of weeks. Um, here we go. Academy Award nominee, Senior Vice President of Industrial Light and Magic, and Chief Creative Officer Rob Bredou, who was in charge of the visual effects for the Movie Solo shared our review. And I'd also like to mention that in my previous post for the Movie Solo, Ron Howard gave it a retweet, which then led to a reply from the writer of the movie John Kazden, who wrote the movie with his father, Lawrence Kasdan, who also wrote Empire Strikes Back in Return of the Jillo. Um, He wrote it with John, and John commented, So awesome to hear such positivity about Solo. So much delight and joy in making it. It's very satisfying to hear that at least some of that comes through on screen and gets passed along to the audience. So um, that's one of the great things about Twitter is there's so much badness out there, but there's so much goodness and finally, Dan, our last peak performance was Mads Mickelson. And in a nutshell, we just had a lot of love for Hannibal. Um, we had Amy from Napier. Uh, we had Sylvana. We had Ryan and Sador all, cho- all, all choosing to go with Dr. Lecter. And Sador, Sador sorry, gave us honourable mentions for Rogue One and Dr. Strange. And Patty from Time Travelling Tink Podcast and Derry Gills gave us his 3-2-1 of King Arthur, Strange, Dr. Strange, and peak performance for him was Le Chiffre in Casino Royale. That's, that's our mailbag, Dan. We are really chucking along here in this uh, in this episode. I think we better jump straight into our peak performance.
0: All right, so uh,
1: much like movie of the week, each week normally uh,
0: Paul and I take turns choosing a different actor or actress and we choose what we think is their best movie performance. This week, Paul, we are going with Christopher Walken.
1: What do you got for me? Actors like Christopher Walken, I always feel like I really want to come in with a really good impression because they deserve it and I I can't do it, so I'm not going to do it the injustice. Um, My honourable mention for Christopher Walken is is maybe something he's not well known for um but that is him as the role of max shrek in 1992's batman returns and you know he may not have had top billing alongside you know michael keaton michelle pfeiffer Danny devito but his role in this movie for me is so important without him we don't get catwoman without him we don't have the penguin scheming and becoming proud to be oswald couple pot and i loved his scenes particularly opposite michael keaton the way he brought that classic walk and tone to michael keaton as bruce wayne i just think i just think he's great in this and i the thing is i always think of him when i think of this movie and when you think about this movie you're always being famous for the bat the cat and the penguin i think that is a pretty good sign for uh, an actor who's doesn't who doesn't have his name on the poster i thought he was superb in this um but the peak performance that couldn't be knocked off the top was 1978's the deer hunter this this is a movie i've talked about a few times on this podcast and i think i i I think meryl streep was my peak performance in there as well i watched this in the 80s with my dad at a time when i was probably too young to watch it to be honest and it's probably why i remember watching it because you know i realized oh i shouldn't be watching this it's really hitting home i really loved it right away and i think he I think he just shows in this movie that he's got a real edge to his to his acting ability and in my mind of course this is like oh this is one of his early movies but when I was looking on MDB he'd been acting for 25 years before 1978's The Deer Hunter he was acting in 1953 which is just incredible and this movie he just he shows he can do crazy I think he Alongside Mel Streep and Robert De Niro, he, he holds his own. And in that Russian roulette scene in Vietnam, it's actually more Christopher Walken, more than De Niro, that, that really sells that whole scene to me. I just thought it was absolutely brilliant. So that is my peak performance. Great choice, then Christopher Walken. What have you got?
0: We are in sync a little bit today, Paul. So I actually went with my honourable mention batman returns as well nice. for all of the all of the reasons that you said and i couldn't believe it when you actually picked the same movie i was like i just have such fond memories of of his hair in those yes, movies yes. and it just kind of been this like intense gray kind of like mad scientist look but i think you're right for all the reasons without him we don't have those other fantastic characters and i think like already a fantastic cast and i think i think when it an actor like Christopher Walken can kind of take a step back and still have such a big impact. There's something to be said for that. And I think he does a a wonderful job in Batman returns for my actual peak performance. This is again, quite a small role, but I think quite a a memorable one. And I'm going to go with his role in, um, in Pulp Fiction. So (laughs) Pulp Fiction obviously came out in 1994 and he's just got that fantastic scene um, where he's talking about the watch and how he like smuggled it out. And it's, I don't know, there's just something about it, like, he's he's such a a heavy hitter of an actor. You just, it's, for a movie with so many standout moments and terrifying moments and holy moly moments, like, some of those sort of calmer, quieter moments, still with quiet chaos, just fantastic, and I think christopher walken sort of brings us all to no matter what he does
1: that's so good that is such a good shot there's such intensity in that scene when he's talking about the watch and the way he's moving the watch in his yeah, hand yeah. it's everything about it is perfect that's a really great shot
0: he's got this great kind of like grandpa vibe doesn't he where it's kind of like like he's deadly serious and he's kind of got some tales to tell when yeah, it's it, it's so good so
1: yeah, Batman Returns in Pulp Fiction for me. He seems so old in Pulp Fiction. He seems so old in Batman Returns with the big grey hair, and yet here he is now in, in The Outlaws at, at age 80. It's incredible.
0: That's right. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Well, Paul, that probably brings us to the end of a, a very long um, episode of the Half Measures podcast.
1: It does indeed. It's good to be back in the groove, Dan, and back into our normal rhythm uh thanks for listening everyone do get in touch uh let us know your questions for dan let us know your peak performance for christopher walken um or if you've got a movie or tv show a suggestion or anything we reviewed we'd love to hear about it on uh facebook our twitter our instagram our pinterest all the things or come along and join our discord chat
0: also, a very special shout out to our Patreon producers, Samara White and King, Trisha Brady, Diana Kanawa, and Linda Tavner. We couldn't do it without you. If you too would like to become a patron of the show, then you can find those details in the show notes below. But until next week, everyone, adios.